Hello, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is John Deming. He's a comedian from Utah. Grew up around Appalachian, Binghamton area, and went out there, went to BYU, did a couple years of missionary work, majored in Spanish, so obviously he decided to become a comedian. John's back in the Binghamton area for a few months before he moves down to New York City and attempts to do this professionally. So I talked to him about that process, how he started out. Uh, he actually had his first gig at 16 years old doing a baby shower because that's how all great comedians start. But he's a cool dude, big sports fan. We talked a little bit about the Utah Jazz and, and the Mets because we're losers, basically. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. I know I did. You can follow along with the podcast at On The Mic with Mike Peters on Instagram and Facebook and OTMW Mike Peters on Twitter. Please rate and review the podcast, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Feeling like my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. John Deming is here all the way from Utah. Well, kind of. I mean, I, I was there for school. Now I'm moving back here. I thought you just came from Utah to visit me, so I feel cheated. And I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I'm sorry, Mike. It's okay. Sorry to disappoint. Uh, listen, my whole life is based on disappointment. That's why I got into comedy. So we're all good. There we go. <laughs> so so you, balance has been restored. Sure. We're, we bounce back. I met you a year ago. I think you, you started mm-hmm. coming back on, on a break. And yeah. I did a show or two. And I saw you perform. And I'm impressed. I mean, I, I think you're you're very funny. Thanks, man. And, and I appreciate you coming down here because I want to get to know more. You. And then, like, like I love this podcast because I don't know you super well. Now yeah. I'm going to get to know you for an hour. Right. So See, I remember the first time we met because oh, I came to the open mic. And I didn't know what kind of open mic it was. So I was like, let's get there an hour before it starts just so I can make sure I get a spot in line. And the club wasn't even open yet. <laughs> Spotlight. Right. Because not only is it not the type of open mic that gets that much traffic, it also started an hour later than was posted online. Yes. And so I was just waiting for two hours <laughs> to do this open and mic. And it was well worth it, I'm sure. Oh, a whopping four people showed up. <laughs> Man, that, a whopping four people. That... Spotlight was so good to me in the comedy scene because, like, Maddie B, I think every episode of this podcast I've done, I mentioned Maddie B's. Mm-hmm. And it's just where I met everybody. But that's where we, we had our mic for, I think they had the mic there for two or three years. And I ran it for the last year. And so right. I'm really happy to say I ran that into the ground. So I'm very good <laughs> at that. But th- that place closed. And Spotlight, I called them, I called the, the owner and I said, hey, I have a show. We had we had two or three guys from New York City coming down, and they needed a spot. So I said, "Hey, we have a show at Maddie B's. It's not, uh, you know, it's not happening. working. Right. So uh, can we move that?" And he goes, "Yeah." So I met with the guy, and I said, "We're also looking for an open mic spot." And he said, "Hey, if you run it, we'll do it." And I was like, "Okay, I'll do it." So nice. It was great, and I was able to put. I was booking at Maddie B's at that time. I was able to move all every show we had on the books from from Maddie B's to Spotlight. We only had to change one date by one. Wow! Day. So they really they came in clutch. They did, and there were a whole lot of drawbacks because you know people just didn't go there for a long time. Sure, and you know the comedians didn't go to the mic almost at all. Mm-hmm. So it had some hardships, but you know, for for what I needed at that time, they really 
they did, did did some good good things for me. That's good, man. Yeah. See, the thing about that is that should be like a really good venue if Very. they would use like the bottom room. Were you there in the bottom? So they didn't open it up the show that I okay, did there. Yeah. Because the thing about that bottom room is it gives people a chance if they don't want to go to the show, they can just stay on the top floor and drink and they can and everyone who's at the show is choosing to be there, yeah. right? So that makes it for a better experience for everybody. But also it's just a better room to perform well, in and you're not distracted by the entrance and yeah. the, what's going on outside. Spotlight is the top room is very, very big. And yeah. it's got a bar. And very narrow. Room, very narrow. So they have a downstairs room that is perfect for comedy. We did yeah. shows there and loved it because, one, there's only one entrance in there. Right. So you, you have total control of the door. And, like, mm-hmm. you have to pay to get in here. And it's a smaller room, so even if you have 11 people there, it feels like you have 22. So that right. it bounces off everything. It's really intimate. It's beautiful. But I imagine really, the sounds better. It's great. Than it, it, it is bounced, upstairs it, too. It was. It was great. And yeah, because there's kind of echoey upstairs, and we yeah. had almost no sound issues downstairs. I there's bet. always something that happened with the the speaker because the sound equipment mm-hmm. they have is amazing. But you needed yeah. a technician there to use it because there was always something. It was too too technologically advanced for a guy like me to use it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, with the right advertising and the right promotion, yeah. that could be just yeah, a think, killer room. I think they just did too many things and, and put a lot of eggs into this basket. And, and really, for comedy-wise, they didn't do much for advertising for me at all. Right. Uh, they accepted a co-host on Facebook, and that was pretty much it. Sure. So, so we, got, we got triple booked there once. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got triple No booked. way. Yeah, I, I had a women's show, and I do that every three months. And That's uh, pre-existing knows, conditions? Everybody, yeah, everybody knows it's every three months. And I think at that point, it was like the sixth show, fifth or yeah. sixth. So I had people from Albany, Rochester, Scranton, uh, and somewhere else, uh, well, Binghamton and Syracuse. Yeah. So uh, I, I advertised it for three months. I got there, and the, the owner called me and said, hey, can you start that show earlier? And I was like, no, like people won't know. I mean, he called me at like seven o'clock and said, can you start this at seven thirty? And I was like, probably not. And he said, well, can you only go an hour? I was like, no. I was like, I'm not cut- going to cut everybody's station because he had a battle of the bands scheduled there at the last minute. No way. And they had an urban night or a Latino night upstairs uh. later. And I'm like, so these bands got in there and they're like, screw this place. They're like, we saw your signs. We don't have one up there. You're here. We're leaving. And I'm like, okay. So yeah, they, no were, they did a lot of things without checking their schedule. Yeah. So it was tough. Well, like you said, they came in clutch at the beginning and I think there's pros and cons in any, any yeah. venue that you do show for, that. For what I needed at the time, it was perfect. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of perfect, Tell me a little bit about your comedy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, That's you, a high you, bar to live up to. So you're you're from Appalachian in New York. Yeah. And did you do any comedy here before moving out west? I did a couple school talent shows. Yeah. That, those were my first. At, at Vestal or at Wego? Yeah, I, went, I graduated from Vestal, uh, which is the rich kid district. Sure it is. I I'm was, a UE guy. I was the, I was the middle class person in a very rich neighborhood. Yep. I was poor by the standards of my neighborhood. Yep. So, like, we didn't lock our doors because what are they going to steal from us? Yeah. They all have nicer stuff than we do. <laughs> 
So I grew up, I went to sort of the rich high school and they have a big talent show every year, which is actually a pretty big deal. They, they fill the auditorium, which is, I don't know, five, 600 yeah. people. It's a pretty big room and they fill it up. And, uh, I, twice I did stand up. So two years, my sophomore and junior year and I, it went pretty well. I was really proud of it. Both times I had people tell me they thought I should place, but I would always go over time. That's oh, probably yeah. why I didn't. Yeah. Or maybe it's just because the people were better and the people complimenting me were just trying to make me feel better. That's also possible. Take it. And then I had my first paid gig after one of them, which was such a bad gig. It was, they booked me, I only had eight minutes. Uh, the only jokes I had were that set that I did at the talent show. They're like, yeah, just come do this at our baby shower. Ouch. So I was the only entertainment they booked. So even, they booked, even if you're a seasoned comedian, right. a baby shower is probably not what you want. So they booked eight total minutes of entertainment <laughs> at a baby shower in the basement of a discount movie theater. It's the discount one by where you live in, or by where you grew up, the Cinema Saver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you know the basement of that place, it looks like a place where you would store a body. Yeah. And it was this room. Do you think you were going to get murdered that day? No, because it was all a bunch of suburban moms. Okay. Huh? But I've still. Well, I've, you know, Stepford Wives or Get Out or whatever, but I did this. I was up against one wall. Everyone else was up against the other wall. So there was this weird space between us. And I did a bunch of jokes about me being fat. And the response wasn't bad. It was mostly like, oh, that's clever. That was sort of how I was received. For eight minutes. Right, for about eight minutes. And then I had to wait for my parents to pick me up. <laughs> and I was in the basement of this movie theater with posters of, I don't know, like Ballistics X versus Sever or whatever movies, old movies they had <laughs> still in the posters. But you had that drive. Like, did you feel like at that show, oh, I want to do this? Yeah, I did. The thing is, the thing about it was I was just really stoked that somebody was going to pay me to do this. That somebody thought I was that good. And then I had always loved comedy from the time I was a kid. Even before I was doing it, I was you know, doing old Brian Regan jokes and showing him to people on YouTube to make friends. That was You're 26, so what was the first comedian who really grabbed you? For a TV show, movie, actor? I mean, I grew up on old reruns of 90s SNL. Yeah, okay. So, so you're, you're a Sandler and Tim Meadows. Sandler and... Chris Rock. Farley and yeah. Dana Carvey and that generation. And I grew up on Sandler movies, too. Yeah. But the first comedian that made me feel like this was possible for me was Brian Regan, for sure. Because that was back when they had, like, the Comedy Central Presents. Oh, yeah. That was Those the half-hour specials. Yeah. yeah, it was, like, him and Mike Birbiglia and Dimitri Martin and I've Fluffy. I've got that DVD and, in my house. Yeah. Just so remind you. They were all they were really good yeah. comics that they were bringing in. And I remember when I saw the one for Brian Regan, it was the first time that I'd seen a comedian who seemed like a normal person. Because when you watch like SNL from that period, everybody has this sort of star quality to yeah. them that doesn't really seem like a regular person. Like you watch Chris Farley and you don't think I could do that. You think, no, I don't think holy cow, ever, yeah, Chris Farley is great, right? Yeah. Whereas Brian Regan, you watch and be like, oh, you can be like a normal dude and be funny. Did, on that Comedy Central set, did he have that Pop Tart bit? Yeah, and that one, okay. Yeah, he did the Pop-Tart joke and... Loosen your schedule. Like I think he did, like, the eye doctor bit and stuff like that. But that was... That and his, like, I Walked on the Moon CD yeah. were, like, my comedy Bible when I was growing up. For me, it was Seinfeld. Like, I'm telling you for the last time, mm. I got that one and Chris Rock's... I always forget the name of it. It's not Roll with a New, but it's it's 
It's, bring uh, the pain, maybe? Bring the pain. That's the one. That's the name. Thank you. Yeah. But I got those two, which, you know, obviously Seinfeld and Chris Rock, everybody puts those two guys together. Right. But but I got those two. I think two Never and, Scared, honestly, is the most underrated special of all so. time. It's one of my favorite specials ever. I think it's brilliant. I also got, around that same time, uh, What the Hell Happened to Me, the Sandler CD. Oh, nice. And that, like, the goat and everything, like, all those. Yeah. Those skits and my buddies and I would just talk about them, and then after that, it was Carlin. I got into Carlin. Mm-hmm. He was he was one of my heroes. Yeah, I think I I came across Carlin and Bill Hicks a little bit later right. when I was quote unquote ready for it. <laughs> I have a weird relationship with them in the sense that sometimes I watch them and I go, "These guys are brilliant," and other times I'm like, "Okay, but where's the punchline?" <laughs> right. There's some times it. where it's like, I get it, you have ideas. I, I always say Carlin could be uh, a cult leader. He could be oh, for sure. he could be president right now. And well maybe, you know, soon. Well, that's but, not saying much. No. But like like he he has his disciples. He's got his followers. Like if right. you were a huge Carlin fan, you would do anything he said. And like like I'm oh, yeah. not I'm not super religious. And I think part of that is because Carlin, like he broke it down. I'm like Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. Because it's the logic makes sense for me. And I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why I almost think like, like if you really love Carlin, it's, it's almost dangerous because he could take you to anywhere you want. It's like a, he's very convincing. Like a Jim Jones. Like he could absolutely tell everybody to drink the Kool-Aid. I think that's, that's the major thing that I got from him as a, as an influence is how much of comedy can be just convincing people of a point. Yeah. Cause I think I, I really like doing that. I'll, I'll structure my my jokes as if I'm making an argument to prove a point, you know? So you really got into performing <clears throat> at BYU, right? Yeah. So I heard, I heard from somebody, because I was planning on going to school at BYU. Uh, that was sort of always the plan. And I heard that there was a stand-up comedy club there. And I immediately thought that I wanted to get involved. But my freshman year, it didn't work out. I didn't realize that you could just go. I thought you had to go to like an official open mic and I didn't know when it was. And I thought I missed out. And then I took a couple of years off. And when I came back to school, I happened to see on Facebook that they were just letting people come to their practices. So I started going, I was not good at the beginning. No one, no one is. Well, that's frustrating when you see someone who's a natural, it almost pisses you off. But I, I will root for somebody to fail just once. And right. I, and like I don't know if that's a good thing, like a healthy thing for me to think, but I always see like if, if they do fail, I'm like, okay, they're human too. Well the so good thing is sooner or later they will. Yeah. That happens to everyone. But I started out but it was humbling because my experiences up until that point was always it going well, right? Because I had done it at high school and people loved it. And all the baby showers you got. Right. And that didn't go well per se, but it didn't go poorly. Right. And who's, you know, who's getting paid gigs when they're 16? You know what I mean? So up until then, I had never really had the experience of telling jokes in a room full of people and them hating it. Right. So it was humbling, but I also was hungry because I still loved doing it. And it was it was nice. I think doing it at school gave me a huge leg up because the way that they do it is it's merit-based stage time. So it's a new show every six weeks. You have to have all new material. And whoever writes the best stuff gets in the show. That's great. Yeah, so you get who in the – Who decides who has the best stuff? It's just 
audience approval or <clears throat> club votes on it, like the uh, the uh, president and like the two the people in the like the officers of the yeah. club vote on it, and they're people who've been there for a while and know what works and what doesn't, so they have a better ear for it yeah. than uh, than somebody who just started, right? So that was the thing is that you had to write good stuff to get into a show, and you had to write new stuff because. Except for the last show of the year, which was kind of the best of show, it was always brand new material every single time. So you got used to writing a new six to eight minutes every six weeks. It was never, you know, fully done because you can't do it that yeah. quickly. But you got used to writing and revising and doing some polishing work and writing at a quicker pace. By the time that I started going to open mics at clubs, I already had a bank of material that I had confidence in because I performed it. And it had done well at shows, and it was sort of, I don't want to say focus grouped, but it had passed through some eyes, you know what I mean? Like other comics had heard it and given feedback. So by the time I was doing open mics, I had all of this material already, and that helped me kind of get on shows a lot quicker, as opposed to somebody who only has three minutes, you know? Now, when you say you're doing open mics, are you, you're doing that outside of school. Yeah. How important is that to get off campus and see if it works here or there? Oh, it's super important because it's the same thing. If you only work one city, you start writing for one city. If you only work on campus, you start writing for a campus audience. If you're only going to open mics, you start writing for comedians. You know, I think the greater variety of different venues and types of performance you do, the more you see what works in a general sense, right? The more you can write stuff that works for not everybody, but that will always work for your audience, Whereas if you only do the same stuff or you only do the same venues, you're just writing for that specific crowd that you can't really replicate on the road and you can't really replicate outside of it. So you went away from school. Are you talking about missionary work? Or <laughs> Yeah, I took two years off. I was a missionary, which is – it felt like being in a Brian Regan joke for two <laughs> years. Like the the stuff people say, because no one wants to talk to missionaries, which is fine. I understand that. I actually take no very easily yeah. for an answer. But a lot of people, they don't, they think it's rude to just tell you that they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. So they'll make up excuses. Wouldn't you think that's just sounds ridiculous. saving you time? Like if, I, if, you, if you're trying to sell me on something, I'm like, no, thank you. Sure. You just go on your day earlier. What's the thing is, is that better for you? I, frankly, I don't want to try to convince you of yeah. something that you don't want. I'm looking for people who are actually interested. Right. You know, because my thing was never that I wanted to coerce people to believe stuff. I just wanted to put it out there. And if people were interested, they were interested. You know, that was my approach to it anyway. Was that what they wanted? Well, yes and no. I mean, what they really wanted was people to be good people and do yeah. what they were supposed to do. Right. There were some people who it's not a coincidence that there are a lot of like summer sales companies in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And the people who were very successful at finding people to teach are also successful in sales because it's a similar skill right. set. I was not, that was not my skill set or my goal, but I still feel like they weren't mad at me because I was, you know, I was there for the right reasons and I did what I was supposed to do. You get some people who are a little bit more numbers focused than others, but you know, it just depends on where you go and who you're around. Were you able to do any stand up <clears throat> while you were away? Oh no. Okay. No, 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 no. Strictly but, forbidden, or, or were you just not at that level yet? Well, first of all, I was in Chile, and I don't know that there's oh, a whole lot of. Okay. I don't know that there was a whole lot of opportunity, 
but I mean, what I would, I would, I was always joking around with people. It's just that it's, it's almost a hermetic lifestyle yeah. when you're a missionary. So your frame of reference is very, very different. It would be nothing, but I would have been telling nothing, but you know, missionary related jokes that nobody <laughs> would have understood. The person you're with gets it, but nobody else. That's the thing is you're with somebody 24 hours a day. So you get this well of inside jokes that make no sense and that are completely unusable in a yeah. stand-up context. Now you're, you're a Spanish major, right? Yeah, I got a degree in yeah. Spanish. I don't even know. It's Chilean. Like, they speak any Spanish down there? Yeah, that's the okay. language in Chile okay, is Spanish. Okay, right, okay. But it's a very different brand of Spanish. That's how stupid I am. I had no idea. Right. <laughs> like, There's actually a Chilean stand-up on Netflix that's pretty good. Comedians Around the World? Isn't that special? No, I'm trying to remember her last name. Her first name is Natalia. I don't remember. But it's funny. When you hear her talk... She sounds like Squirtle, and that's what Chileans oh, really? talk like. In, in the capital, like, that's their sort of, I mean, they say flight. They, I don't know that it's, it's not really a one-to-one -one translation into, like, the hood, but it's kind of their their right. equivalent of it. It's a lot less threatening because everyone's five foot six. It's hard. It's hard to be intimidated as a six foot four guy with a guy who's you know smoking a blunt and he's five foot six wearing Jordans. <laughs> and he talks like Lil Wayne. Because <laughs> that's what they talk like. That's the first Lil Wayne impression. Of yeah, the, the more the more the first. I'm sure it won't be and, the last. You know what? I'll bet everybody when they see the roster of people on this podcast. Thought it was going to be you who did it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is, I've been closing with a bit where I rap for eight bars. Yeah, that's true. And no one ever expects it. Because Does that ever not go well? I mean, I, it like, obviously, if, if, you, if you screw it up, I get it. But if you do that rap well. It has yet to tank. But here's okay. the thing is, people tend to be more impressed with it than they laugh at it, which okay. bothers me. Yeah. That's the thing is... I wish I could make it funnier rather than just, whoa, white man rapping, whoa, <laughs> which isn't even that uncommon anymore in a post, post Malone world. But you've got eight minutes on being a Mormon. Yeah, so I, well, probably, I actually probably so have probably... closer to about 20. <laughs> but you, you, you go into the Mormon stuff and then you're like, okay, I'm also going to rap. And I think that, right, that right. hits everybody. Yeah, that's the thing. The Mormon stuff is some of my favorite stuff. I'm trying to find ways to make it work outside of Utah yeah. to make it less specific. But I don't want, to, want it to be a gimmick, but it's the same theory as, like, you wouldn't tell Dave Chappelle not to talk about being black. I also think you wouldn't it, tell, as long as you, know, you don't go by John the Mormon Deming, right. I think you're you're okay with not being the gimmick, you know? Right. Don't fall into that it's, trap. It's one of those things that, like, I feel like it comes up fairly quickly just because I hang around with comedians in bars right. and I don't drink and someone always asks why. Yep. I was like, well, I don't want to lie to you. You know, I'm not out here trying to convert people. I just am telling the truth about why I behave the way I do, you know. How much do you think going there to BYU and – well, first of all, you were you were president of that club, right? I was. So you go in there and you suck at open mics did you ever think, okay, I'm going to lead this organization one day? Yeah, okay. I did. I did. I was, which is weird for me. Normally, I don't have much of an ego. Normally, I'm very self-deprecating. But I got there. And it, was, it was more of that I wanted that, and I yeah. was going after it. Once I had it, I was like, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I realized yeah. I was thinking it was going to be prestigious, and it's not. <laughs> it's mostly dealing with the school administration, which yep. is the worst part about it. You know, there's, I could tell you plenty of stories about the craziness of dealing with the school administration and just like dumb things. I mean, you've probably dealt 
with it with venues the oh. weird demands that people yeah. make well, and I, when i was in college i was president of the television <clears throat> station the new i was editor-in-chief of the newspaper and mm-hmm. uh general manager of the radio station so like i i was in it oh, so wow. i dealt with all that all where'd you go to school mansfield university that's okay so you know thank god it was small so i could do all that yeah but it's nice to be a big fish in a very very little pond <laughs> right um but but i had to deal with all that bureaucratic crap that I never thought like I, I I was in your position. I sat down in the radio station in the back in the very back seat, and I saw the general manager. My first meeting, talk to people. I'm like, I want to do that one day. And yeah. Like, two years later, that was that was me. Yeah, I think a lot of it was also just I wanted to get good enough that I could do that. It took me a while to decide that I wanted to be a comedian as a career, but I always had goals of wanting to get better and wanting to get to a certain place. I always wanted that. I never wanted to be stagnant, which I think is one of the reasons that I wound up deciding to do it professionally because I knew, you know, I had people tell me that, you know, you can always do it on the side. And I feel like it would have been better for me to either go for it full time or just stop doing it because it would drive me crazy if I felt like I plateaued and I'd see other people finding success only because they put more time and effort into it. That would drive me crazy. When I, and you got you got. A, <clears throat> what I noticed, I I saw you at a show. Well, I had you on a couple shows last year, but or at least one. And then, but I saw you at another one, and I got to talk to your dad. Mm-hmm. And one, I think your dad might be your biggest fan. Uh, yeah, he's very supportive. That's that's what it is. I mean, I noticed that he was so proud to watch you up there, and we were talking about you. And I tried to say all the negative stuff in the world, and he wouldn't bite. But he, <laughs> he, he was so proud of what you're doing, and just like, oh, yeah, he works this. And because and, was he a musician as well? He was an actor. He was an actor, okay. Mm-hmm. Your brother's a musician. Yeah. That has to be so huge to where mm-hmm. your dad is like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm assuming, is he paying for school or helping you out or whatever? And yeah, they yeah, did also, as, as much as they could. But also, please go into stand-up. That's, that's huge. Right. Please yeah, the throw nice, my money away. Well, the nice thing about BYU is it's significantly less expensive okay. than most other universities. But yeah, absolutely. My... That's the thing is, you know, I'm try. I still need a nine to five until you can make yeah. enough money to support yourself. So I'm trying to do something that uses my degree, and I may eventually see if I can do material in Spanish to see if I can get into that market. Well, because that'd be kind of an interesting niche to have. You also, know? you were absolutely using your degree at that point. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. You're a Spanish major doing Spanish or comedy in Spanish. And the way that I look at it. I wouldn't have gotten into stand-up if I didn't go to school. Right. That's where I sort of decided it was what I wanted to do. That's where I actually started. I mean, yeah, I had done a couple miscellaneous things while I was in high school, but it wasn't until I got to college that I started actually studying and practicing how to become a comedian and how to get good at this, you know, which isn't to say that I'm fully there. I mean, I'm only five years in, so... You know, I'm not a finished product by any means, but in a in a roundabout way, college is the reason that I'm good enough to where I feel like I can pursue it, right. can chase after it. I think if you're fortunate enough to know what you want to do at 18 and get on stage at 18 and, and go mm-hmm. for it, yeah, maybe you don't need college. But for the rest of right. us, we need it to kind of inform <clears throat> how our life is going to be and give us those experiences. I yeah. know I don't do it so much anymore, but I know you know I have material where I talk about college. And I talk yeah. about how, you know, I, I actually I haven't done this joke in a while, but my 21st birthday, I passed out in a Dunkin' Donuts bathroom, <laughs> locked myself in there. And, like, I would not have got. I mean, if I just was hanging around Endicott 
at 21, I'm not getting that story. I might get. First of all, you got to drive to Apple Lake and to find a Dunkin' right, Donuts. Right, right. And it's open 24 hours. I don't even know if that one is open 24 hours anymore. Right. But, like, you know, know, it's like you have that. And so I think, I think that college experience is so huge. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, it took until basically until last year for me to decide that I wanted to do comedy as a career. The plan was I was going to go to law school. That's why I got my undergraduate in Spanish was it was the quickest way to graduate and it was something that I felt like I was already good at. So it was a way for me to try to keep my grades up and graduate soon so I could go to law school because I went through a lot of different phases of what I thought I was going to do. First, I thought I was going to be a Spanish teacher. Then I dropped the teaching because I thought I was getting ready for law school and it would be easier. And then I realized that I wasn't that fond of homework, right? which is a problem if you wanted to go to law school. You know, who knows? Maybe years from now... I might go back and finish it or or whatever, but I was so burnt out by the time I got my degree. Because, I mean, college is not easy, particularly when you go to a prestigious university that wants to make things hard to keep up their level of prestige, you know? They pride themselves on being academically challenging. Did you, obviously, uh, BYU has its own rules. Yeah. Now, you can't drink on campus, right? You can't drink, you can't smoke, uh, you can't have a beard. You You've got a beard now, right? Because I graduated. You're rebelling. I'm yeah. I'm celebrating. <laughs> well, my fiance loves it too. Oh, that's a go. that's a big part of it. And also, you know, I wanted to look more Jewish. Yeah, of course. I'm moving back to New York. That's the key to success. Maybe slip under the radar. Right. But um, yeah, there's there's a, quite a few rules. I mean, most of them are are pretty standard. You know, don't cheat on tests. Yeah. Stuff like that. But there are a couple weird ones, like the the beard rule. What's your Jim McMahon? I believe right. Jim McMahon can do it, could do whatever he wanted to do. Well, a few years ago, BYU, it looked like they might make it to the Final Four. Yeah. Remember that yeah. when, like, you know, Jim or Fredette was, oh, yeah. like, player of the year. He's and really good in China right now. Oh, he's killing it in China. <laughs> he was garbage in the NBA. He but... had some good spots with the D-League. <laughs> the D-League. No, in China, he's a legend. He's, he's killing it. Oh, yeah, no, it's Marbury who's got the statue. But Fredette probably will get a statue. Yeah. But the thing is, even as old as he is, Marbury could probably still demolish a Jimmer one-on-one. Very true. Very true. And I say this as a proud BYU alumnus. He's got AM1 shoes. He yeah. can do anything. But that year, the second best player got suspended because one of the other rules is unless you're married, you can't have sex. Oh, okay. Right? And so... That has to be very difficult for a a prominent basketball player at a university to not have sex. Right. The temptation has to be there. But the point is, so he got suspended for a year. I'm pretty sure the girl he slept with got just kicked out. Oh, makes sense. So it's, you know, athlete privilege, I guess. Too bad she wasn't like a lacrosse player. Yeah. You you probably don't have lacrosse at BYU. They might. There's a lot of rich white kids. I wouldn't be surprised if there was lacrosse. There's a lot of experience with lacrosse. So San Diego's yeah. got one. I don't, know. I don't know. It seems to me, and maybe this is because I went to the rich kid high school, lacrosse tends to attract the wealthiest yes. of the wealthy. No, I, I worked as a journalist in Maryland and <clears throat> covered high school lacrosse. Yeah. The hotbeds for lacrosse, unless it's changed in the last five years, were Maryland, just that mid-Atlantic, D.C., Virginia, sure. uh, Maryland area, Long Island. <laughs> they've got it. They've got right. a good lacrosse. Man, there was another one. Upstate New York. Yeah. So, like, the Syracuse, that area. Mm-hmm. So, they were always doing well. So, like, you see, like, all the top 25 schools in that in that were all basically Maryland schools, Syracuse, Johns Hopkins, and then, you know, Florida started getting programs, and San Diego and Denver. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's spreading, but... 
for the most part, it's remember remember hockey in the '90s when you had like one black person. That's basically lacrosse now. Right. It's it's kind of like rowing crew. Yeah. Where it's you know unless you're Army Hammer in the Social Network, yeah. you probably don't the row crew. Twins are there know? and nobody else. Right. Yeah. Makes Not sense. even the real Winklevoss twins. <laughs> just guys that look like Army <laughs> Hammer. Right. <laughs> did he play both characters in that? He had. Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah. That's such a good movie. I haven't seen so, it in years, but it's so I good. Have that. I've got like, if you look behind you, I've got like <clears throat> six hundred DVDs. Yeah, you have I've a very so impressive many, collection. Though I forget what I have and what I don't have. It's weird. Mm-hmm. So if you ever want to borrow a DVD and keep it. I'm the guy you want to ask. Well, that's the thing. There is a charm to having a physical copy of something. For me, it's cardio. I have to get get up and put the DVD in. All right, so that's my time here. Thanks, everybody. I got the light. Very limited cardio. It's like uh, the real exercise is when I I put in a season. burn one calorie every two and a half hours. Saved by the bell. And every six episodes, I have to go back and put another DVD in. That's right. You're a big Saved by the Bell Huge guy. Saved by the Bell fan. I'm I forgot nice. that. Yeah, and I know you've got you've got a bit about Aunt Becky. Yeah, uh, from Full House. If you look over there, uh, my Mets head is on that, but there's the DVD box set of Full House. It's in the st- the house from 1882 Gerard Street, and I know that because I'm awesome. The funny thing about DVD box sets is you have to buy a specific season. Yeah. So how do you decide which season of Full no. House? No, Full House is like that's uh, the, the house complete series. Oh yeah, I, I buy complete series. Oh, so okay. Look, like I, it I, comes I, in one of those like Lord of the Rings yeah, boxes. Yeah, I mean the head is on it, but then with all those special King features, of, King of Queens. That's the IPS truck. Oh, you know, right behind that's Home Improvement. It comes in a toolbox. Oh, very that's nice. That's why I buy those. Yeah. Nice. Seinfeld there and friends and I've got I've got a but lot they of don't come in a truck box they do not not usually so no. are you really gonna watch Seinfeld over well, the King of Queens yeah <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to Kevin James Best of but it's just happened so right. I had to watch that but no, I but I forget what we were talking about at all but if they have all those rules at, at BYU do you think that's helped you become a better comedian because you obviously you know a lot of your stuff's clean mm-hmm. so. In my in my opinion, you almost have to earn those laughs a little more if you can't throw in a an F word or something like that. Yes and no. I mean, in Utah, there's actually a lot of discussion about the "is it harder to work clean" debate. I don't think it is personally. I think what's hard is to write jokes that aren't your natural personality. Right? It would be way harder for me to work dirty than it would okay. be for me to work clean, just because of my upbringing and personality. Right. If you're a person who, you know, your life experience is getting blowjobs, then it would be hard to not write jokes about that. Yeah, that's very true. But for me, me, I know. Right, exactly. (laughs) For me, it's not hard to not write jokes about that because I don't know anything about it. Right. I also, on that DVD shelf, I have other videos. No. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're teaching health class now. It's a box set of porn. Oh Seasons God. one through five. You know, something like that probably exists, but I've never thought about that at all. Yeah. I have a joke. You didn't hear it, but I do a, a bit. My favorite thing is to pre- pretend to be even more ignorant about it than oh, I yeah. am. So I have a bit where I say, like, I don't know. What are we up to? Porn seven? Porn eight? <laughs> we must be pretty far along in the series. Porn presents Hobbes versus Shaw. I don't know. Did you ever? You probably have never gone into a porn shop, right? Like an adult Oh, shop. no. Okay. The funniest part about all those is like you'll see whatever the title is, name anything, mm-hmm. and it's always aren't they like, mostly like bad puns? Oh yeah, most of them. But like regardless, it's always like part two sixty four, like <laughs> volume three hundred nine. It's like there were three hundred eight other 
like think of a new title <laughs> something but it's it's right. that, that's what i always noticed and also that i was pathetic <laughs> <laughs> you're the guy who walks into a porn shop and notices how long the series is yes but, but the, in a weird way that's the comedian mindset right it, it, it's even worse than that like i i actually went to uh i probably every week i would go with my buddy mike i was more in shape at the time he was fat mike I was not Fat Mike. Right. And he's like, hey, let's go out. It's like Saturday, Friday night. Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us were dating, or at least my girlfriend was gone or whatever uh, with somebody else. (laughs) So we would go to the porn shop because he wanted Mm -hmm. to buy something. I never, I've never once bought anything from a porn shop. I'm proud of that. But he wanted (laughs) to go. Well, I mean, you don't have to nowadays. It's free. But, you know, who's paying for porn now? If you're you're paying for porn now, you got a problem. Like a lot of problems. Or you're just more a money man. Or you're just Jeff Bezos. Be like, I got (laughs) to spend this somehow. And and I'll write it off anyway. So, uh, but we would go to the porn shop in one of them in Binghamton. He told me, by the way, if you ever go in, he says, never touch the handle of a porn shop door. And I'm like, okay, makes complete sense to me. Ugh. Yes. So we go there. He'd buy whatever magazine he wanted. And then we would go get Burger King. And we eat in his, in his truck. And then afterward, we would go down one of, I think. You realize you're dating truck. yourself significantly oh, yeah. by yeah, referring that. to porn magazines. I know, I know. It was bad. <laughs> so, Not even but, videos. And then just we, and then we would, static images. Then we would go and look for hookers. We would just go try to spot them. And we wouldn't talk to them or, or pick them up. Would you anything. go like like the, the hair salon where they have the haircut magazines? No. Go up to them and be like, give me this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is, this is at like, like midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and we would just go um, down in Binghamton and just look, and like the highest we got, we, we counted two and a half, because we weren't sure of the third one. We're like, uh. she looks provocative, but I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, a hard day at work. So, uh, but like that's, and then, and then the best nights were when we'd finish that and go to my grandma's house and tell her what we did. Oh, and fun. She, oh, and she's like, oh, you're an idiot, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what reaction you were expecting from your that, grandmother. That, she's the best person ever that's great uh, so do you find that it's difficult overcoming that clean comedian stigma or is it whatever like by now less so out here in in utah there's not a stigma in fact you get way more opportunities from it the problem is when when you market something as being clean above all else it's almost like when you market your company based on how great your customer service is okay. Right. When you say we have the best customer service, you're just inviting customers to abuse you and then complain. I thought you had great customer service. Right. right? Like that happened to me when I used to work at Wegmans where customers would be like that all the time. So it's the same thing where if your brand is this is super clean, you're inviting people not to relax and laugh, but to like vigilantly watch you to find the thing that isn't clean by their standards. And so that's something that I don't particularly like. I don't really like having to babysit my audience. Yeah. But I don't really mind being considered a clean comedian. I just hope that people like my stuff because it's funny. It's it's weird when people, their only compliment of you is what you didn't say. Yeah. It's like, I must not have written that good of a joke if all you like about it was that I managed to avoid a couple of words, you know? Do you think you'll get to a point where you say you want to shut it and be like, okay, well, I'm going to say the F word. I'm going to whatever, like, dip your toe into the water. Or I don't know. Are you protective of that? I'm not sure. I think more than likely I'll probably keep working clean okay. just because I feel like it would be unnatural for me not to. Like, I don't know that I could pull it off. You'd look silly. 
Yeah, it would seem fake. Okay. You know? I just try to write stuff that reflects the way that I feel, you know? I just, I try to be myself because I don't know how to be anybody else, you know? I did, uh, for a long time I was trying to work clean and... And I really enjoyed it because I felt like like when you can tell a joke without swearing or sexual innuendo, it's almost do, like doing a magic trick. Like, oh, yeah. That's, sure. Like, I feel like uh, it's harder to do. It's harder to do. I earned it more. This happened. We were at Spotlight. And not me and you, but the comedians. And I was doing completely clean. And I had a joke where uh, I was saying how... I think when you go to the gym, you should use the bathroom because you use their water. You're paying for the membership. You use their water. Use the toilet paper, the ear pipes, whatever. Get all your money's worth. <laughs> right. But instead of <clears throat> saying shit, I said poop because I thought it was a funnier word. And it wasn't so, oh, I don't want to say shit here. It's like, I thought poop. You know, you hit both It's just a funny word. I thought it was a funny word. So... <laughs> so I did the bit and it went okay ask any three year old it's yeah, just an objectively yeah, and, and, funny word and my sense of humor is not very much older than that right so, <laughs> but I was getting to this bit and it was okay some lady on the on the left side yells say shit <laughs> and I was like shit that, so that happened to my friend and I'm like you gotta be kidding me that happened to my friend Ryan recently he walked a table when he was headlining just because they didn't expect the show to be clean and they were mad that it Are was clean. Me? Yeah, he walked a table. It was crazy. I hosted for him. That usually it is the other way around. But in this weird instance, I remember because I hosted the show and a table walked out. And we we're like, what could he have possibly said that made him walk out? And the staff was like, yeah, they were mad that it was clean. <laughs> Isn't that bizarre? In Utah? Yeah, this was in Utah. No, I, I've never been to Utah. I had a chance to go once, and then I got ditched. But, yeah. yeah, which is weird. That's a weird thing to say. Yeah. I was going to go to Utah, but they left without me. Like, yeah, the closer but, you get to Salt Lake City, the less Utah it is. Okay. Yeah. Salt Lake City is... So Carl Malone probably still lives. Actually, he might. Possibly. Why would you move? If you're Carl Malone and John Stockton, why would you ever move? They have a street named after both of them in downtown Salt Lake City, which is crazy because they didn't win anything. They won a lot more than anybody else's won. Do you think Donovan Mitchell is going to get a street? Probably not, but I don't know. Uh, who's the guy? Is it, not AC, is it AC Carr? Was he there? Or am I thinking of somebody else? The guy with glasses. God, it was in the 90s with the, those teams. We're going to go old. We're going to geek out an old school 90s basketball. Yeah. This is going to be interesting for everybody. Yeah. Oh, man. It wasn't Jeff Hornacek, was no, it? No, it wasn't Jeff Hornacek. Uh, <clears throat> it's a power forward. He almost is the opposite look of Jeff Hornacek. He's a he's a big, burly black guy. Oh. Uh, Jeff Hornacek, you know, he's... For some like, reason, I heard glasses and I thought white guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It wasn't, I don't know why. It wasn't Greg Ostertag. It was the other guy. <laughs> Brian... Yeah. Not Brian Russell. I want to say it's like AC Carr. Possibly. Uh, but yeah, he, I remember he had like 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 Oakleys, like sports Oakleys. Oh, okay. Uh, it was good. It but was, like goggles. That yeah, I mean, he, was, he sat behind Malone. But, mm -hmm. you know, so he's like the seventh man. Of, you know, so. Did he also throw elbows in Isaiah Thomas's face? Probably not. Although Isaiah Thomas was elbow level. So he was asking for it. Well, that's the thing. Back then, in the 90s, there were basically no nice athletes. No. Right. And baseball, you understand it because everyone was on steroids and they were roid raging. Yeah, of course. Right. But there was just in general, there was no one nice in sports in the 90s. I almost preferred it that way. In some ways. I mean, if you're a passionate fan of one team, you kind of want your team to be total, you know, insert whatever word you right. want. 
to the other team. We talked about this a couple days ago. And you want to hate the other team anyway, <laughs> so you want them to be horrible people. You're you're a huge sports fan. Uh, we're yeah. both Mets fans, which yeah. is... Oh, did you ever see that story uh, a couple years ago in 2015 when the Mets were in the World Series or going there? Uh, there's a story about how comedians, a lot of comedians, especially around the city, are Mets fans. They identify mm-hmm. with the Mets because of the underdog status. Right. Do you think that's part of, like, if you go back and look through your history, you know, were you a Mets fan as a kid? Oh, yeah. So, like, do you think that might be, like, you follow the trail and, like, oh, yeah, I was destined to be here because... I'm used to all this disappointment by being a Mets fan that I'm going to go chase it professionally. I think on some level, I think the thing about Mets fandom is there's a lot of misery. And I think spinning that misery into pleasure is sort of the alchemy that a comedian performs, right? right? And I think also the idea of sticking with something through so much failure is very much a comic thing to do. But... You know, I haven't thought about it. It kind of makes sense. I think the sort of sad sack, cynical vibe is very common among both of them, you know? I don't know if it's a chicken and egg scenario. I don't know if being a Mets fan makes you more likely to be a comedian or if being a comedian makes you more likely to be a Mets fan. Right, I think... I think a lot of those comedians, it was, it was like Chris Rock and... Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, Seinfeld. Oh, he's Kevin Bill James. Maher, Bill Maher. Um, Jess. Oh, my God. What's her name? It's so crazy. Yeah. Bill Maher, of all people, is a Mets fan. He's a minority. Because all he does... Well, all he does is criticize people for blind faith, and he yeah. buys stock in the Mets. I know. It's like, why would you do that? <laughs> but all those guys... And, and I think their response was like... He literally bought yeah. stock in a team whose slogan is, you got to believe. Oh, that's... I never thought of that. Right. Like, you would think if you were an atheist, you'd be a Yankees fan because right. it would be all based on evidence Evil and proof. Empire. Well, no, I'm not, I don't have anything against atheists, but, you know, all of the evidence and proof points to the Yankees being the better team. Right. So it would be strange to be an atheist Mets fan. Have you found it easy to bring sports into comedy? No, because I want to talk about it, but nobody it knows what I'm talking it's about. It's just not relatable. Like, like, you have to almost explain who <clears throat> Jeff Hornacek is. But the thing is, I usually don't. I usually don't go that obscure. I have one joke where I bring up Paul Molitor, and the whole joke is that no if one knows who Paul know Molitor is. Paul Molitor, he's got three thousand plus <clears throat> hits. He's mm-hmm. easily probably. But that's the most yeah, obscure. Yeah. And then the joke is about how no one knows who he is, which is, which is great. But like for the most part, I'm referencing fairly prominent figures. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of who I reference, like Barry Bonds. I have a joke about him. I have a joke where I mentioned like Kevin Durant and like LeBron James, but that's about as deep cut as I go because I know that, you know, you want people to understand what you're talking about, but it's, it's frustrating because even things that you would think they're just around in the culture and you kind of just pick them up by osmosis. Not everyone does. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, I had somebody, I had to explain to someone who Led Zeppelin was I was you, like, you, really? You mean the pencil company? Sorry, no, sorry. No, I'm, not again, them. I got the light. I'm out of here. This is not. This is, I, I've now. But it, seen it was. My podcast it really was a strange experience because it's like you've never seen a movie before. Yeah. Like you've never, you've never seen a TV show and like heard Stairway to Heaven playing in the background or anything. Because like even stuff that I haven't seen or listened to, I know what it is. I haven't heard every. I'm trying to think. Like I haven't listened to every Pink Floyd album or anything. Right. But you if know you knew, Pink Floyd. 
Yeah, I know that there is a band called Pink Floyd and more or less why people like them or why they're important. So you would think references like that you could throw into jokes and people are fine with it. But it depends. I mean, some people don't. Like, I feel like I do better with audiences that pay really close attention. Right. You know, I feel like for whatever reason, something about the stuff I write, it's sort of blink and you'll miss it. There's like a pretty fast pace to the logic of it. That if you you miss a step, you're kind of off the train. You've been doing stand up for the most part for five years. About five years. So, yeah. do you remember your worst show? Oh yeah, there there are a couple. Um, Pick your favorite. This wasn't my worst show, but it was a weird show. I got when I was at BYU. People just saw YouTube videos of us, and they booked us to do a church show in Elko, Nevada, and. It was me and like a couple other people. So we drive from Utah to Nevada to do this show. And it's still Nevada, so there's casinos, but they're not good casinos. Right. <laughs> like we stopped at one just for the experience. They didn't even cart us on the way in. And there, there were no employees there. It was basically like a storage unit for slot machines is what this place was. <laughs> and then there was there was a bar at the back, and there were three very lonely men drinking separately. But there were no poker tables. There were no roulette tables or nothing. It was just slot machines and three lonely, sad people. And it was very disappointing. So we do the show, and our MC was was a black comic. Which, anytime you bring up that detail, either you're a racist or someone in the story is a racist. Right. Right. He does a few jokes. One of his jokes was like a list of things not to trust. And like he brings up both Democrats and Republicans as just sort of part of the list of things you shouldn't trust. When he gets to Republicans, people just boo. It's like a super conservative crowd. They have other people on the show, they do okay. I do jokes. Once again, nobody understands what I'm talking about. I used to do a joke about Christopher Walken and I didn't know who that was. And I used to do a joke about Will Smith and they also didn't know who that was. <laughs> I do not know who Will Smith is. I have no idea, <laughs> but these people managed. Will Smith will come to your house and talk to you these, if you don't know who he is. Right. These He's people. accessible. <laughs> right. These people found a way to not know who Will Smith was. So afterwards we did like a little meet and greet and it was, I think the best description was our MC said it was like if the town from it and stranger things had a baby, <laughs> it was like a very Stephen Kingy right. vibe. They were very nice. They're like very pleasant, but it was, there's just like a very strange vibe to it. And this guy comes up and there's one of the headliner, my buddy Brian, and then me and then our MC who is, like I said, is black. The guy comes up, shakes my friend Brian's hand, shakes my hand, visibly snubs my friend, <laughs> our MC's hand. Uh, uh, he, like, visibly does not shake his hand. And I was like, whoa, am I an extra in Hidden Figures? What just <laughs> happened here? Like, that's the type of racism you thought only existed in Disney right. movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he takes me out of the room and he's like, you have to tell this story because no one's going to believe me if I do. Right. You know what I mean? And it was very much like that. And... Like, there was a guy who my friend Brian talked to. It was like the scene in Forrest Gump where Bubba's talking about shrimp. Oh, yeah. But he was talking about steak. That's a good six-minute clip of that movie. Right. But he, it was like the same thing, but it was all the ways you can make steak or, like, beef. Right. And there was another conversation he had that consisted entirely of the word yeah with some guy. The guy coming up, he's like, yeah. And then he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then they just go back and forth doing that for, like, a solid car. minute. Yeah. And so there's a lot of very strange interactions. But like I said, a lot of people were super nice, but it was just very weird. 
And uh, so that was a strange show. And the other one that I did was it was a, a corporate event that I was booked on. It was me and my friend Ryan Irwin. We were booked to do a military ball. It was for the Utah State University and Weber State ROTC. Weber State's in Utah? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's up in up in Ogden. Dame Dollar, baby. That's where Damian Lillard went. Yeah, I, I, I remember Weber State every three or four years when they get in the tournament. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's right. They exist. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but they had their event down in Salt Lake City, which is like two, two and a half hours away. Well, I mean, one of them's up in Logan, so it would be like three hours away. It's pretty we all distance. know the geography of Utah. Trust right. Me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for <laughs> condescending to you by providing these details that we all know. But uh, so they had their event in Salt Lake City. And it was in this big bank building. There's a Zions Bank is like a big bank out of there. And their headquarters is in Salt Lake City. So we're upstairs in this ballroom. And uh, along the walls are portraits of the presidents of the bank, some of which are also like Mormon church yeah. presidents. So basically it's a wall of very austere looking white men. <laughs> and uh, so they sit us down. We're in like street clothes. They didn't teach us how to, they didn't tell us how to dress. Everybody else is in formal military regalia. Like think like that scene in Top Gun. Yep. Yeah, it's like that. And they're like dressed to the nines. So they start the event and they don't know how to turn off the music that's in the PA system. And rather than just wait till they figure that out to start the event, they have the national anthem anyway, but they can't fit the choir in the ballroom. So you have this choir in the hall singing into the ballroom the national anthem. Meanwhile, Christina Aguilera's You Are Beautiful is playing over the PA system. When is it not? Right. And this is hilarious to us and a big concern to everyone else. Like, nobody else thinks this is funny, so we have to, like, stifle our laughter. So they do that, and then they have a prayer, which, great way to introduce comedy. Of course. And then they have a sit-down. Maybe they're praying for you. <laughs> they were not. <laughs> they most certainly were not. Or if they were, they were praying to the wrong God. Because <laughs> it did not it did not work out. They don't have a regular mic. They have like a podium mic. So you have to like, it's like the White House Correspondence Dinner. Yeah. And so the lady gets up to the podium. There's this little table off to the side. And has like a plate with all these different items on it. And she's explaining what that is and what it symbolizes. And everything symbolizes dead soldiers. It's just... It's like a lemon for the bitterness of loss and salt for the tears that their loved ones cried. It's very serious and not funny at all. And then they have this like series of scripted toasts to the president and to the commanding officers. And once again, to the fallen soldiers. So we have like two dead soldier tributes in a row. And then they announce us both at the same time in the wrong order. And then they say, and while they're doing their show, let's have you guys go up and get food table by table. Everybody is paying a whole lot of attention to you. Yeah, no one's paying attention. And the table's off to the far end. They have to cross in front of the podium to get in line. So, like, there are times where you can't even really see us that well. (laughs) Who wants to see a comedian anyway? Right. That's not important. So Ryan gets up. And his act is even cleaner than mine. But he has a lot of stuff about being gay, right? Because he's a gay guy. And, oh, uh, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> he's, it's, it's not just cultural appropriation. Oh, okay. It's, you know, he actually is. So he has some. He has, does a little bit of material about being gay and whatever. Uh, and he does a joke about Grindr. And it's it's not explicit. It's just like how, like, I guess on Grindr they have different words for different body types or whatever. 
And as soon as he says grinder, this officer gets up from his table, walks a few steps toward the podium, and gives him this motion. Which, like, I think he's trying to give him the, hey, don't do that motion. But it looks like the I'm going to slit your throat motion. Visibly in front of everyone. And then he has to just continue going. And then after that, I have to go. (laughs) Like, I have to follow all of this that has just happened. So we do the show. It goes not that well, as you can imagine. Right. I do a little bit better than he did, mostly because they're homophobic. But <laughs> we we finish the thing, and then they're continuing with the event. They bring on some officer to speak, and he makes some weird, lame military jokes, and is killing, which bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> the petty comedian in me is like, yeah, my stuff's cooler. But uh, we're, we're there for another, like, 40 minutes. And we're like, when are they going to pay us so we can get out of here? So we finally flagged down the lady that booked us. And she's like, oh, you were supposed to send an invoice so that we can pay you. And I was like, dude, you should have told us that yeah. before. But fine, whatever. We send the invoice to get paid, like, that day or the next day. And we don't get paid for, like, another, like, six or eight weeks. It takes, like, months for us to get our money. It's like, this is like the worst gig ever. Let's go to the government channels. Yeah, it got to the point where like, we should send them like a plate full of random items. <laughs> it's like, and lettuce to represent the green you have not paid us. <laughs> <laughs> and cheddar for the cheddar we don't have because you still haven't paid us. What do you learn from a show like that? Um, not to do it again? I mean, what you learn is to be specific about what you need when you get booked for something, right? To not assume that people know what it takes for comedy to be successful. Because a lot of that wasn't their fault. Like, that's not their area of expertise, right? So you learn, ask about the event. Like, how many people are going to be there? Okay, is it we're having dinner? Because this is going to be a lot less successful if you do it while people are eating. So maybe wait till after you've eaten or do it before people eat or whatever. And just make sure that there's a mic there. And this is, you know, little things like that that you wouldn't think you'd have to explain because... You're in that world all the time. Like, I think that's kind of what I took away from it is that people who book you don't necessarily a research what you do, right? Or b they don't know what you need in order to be successful. And you ultimately got paid, so it was worth it. And you got the story. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. And, that, and that's like I ask that question every podcast, pretty much, and I think everyone. <clears throat> and most times they're like, "Yeah, well." I don't regret it because I had that story. Yeah, absolutely. I was stabbed in Baltimore. and I, at, at a show? No, no, I wasn't that bad. Oh. I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for that to happen. I was but, like, what joke but, was but I, it during? <laughs> I had a really strong seven-minute bit about Screech Powers. And they just were had not having it. Everyone like, was, was Team Zach Morris. Ironic, because Sam <laughs> Screech stabbed somebody. <laughs> so, the circle. As I was doing my Frosted Flakes bit, <laughs> yeah. and it just really set them off. Yeah, I said, that's excellent. And they're like, no, that's not right. <laughs> but no, I, I, but that's that's one of my best stories to tell in a bar, is that yeah. I get stabbed. And like, So I don't regret it one bit, because you can turn it into something positive. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. Sometimes you'll be at a terrible show, or you'll be at a, like a gig that you know is going awful. And in the back of your mind, be like, this is worth it. Yeah. There's there's a bit in here. There's a story in here. And you had your buddy with you. Right. So you can commiserate right there. That's the other thing is if I had done it alone, it would have been yeah. miserable. It would but have been right back to those baby shower days. Right. <laughs> exactly. Now, what what's your plan? Like, you're, you're, you're in New York for... Or 
upstate New York for a couple months, and you want to go to the city, right? Yeah, that's the plan. Is I'm looking for work there so I can make the leap. You know, I don't have I don't have kids yet. I'm still young. Yeah. This is kind of the time to go for it. Try to make some connections, see where it takes me, and that's kind of the the idea. Is I'm hoping my goal for 2020 is to start hitting the road right. at some point, whatever that happens to look like. I'm hoping within a couple of years, maybe to make this a full time thing. You just got engaged. I just got engaged. So yeah. You and her are going to move to New York City together. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to be out in Utah for a little bit longer, um, but when the wedding happens, I'm going to go out there for the wedding, and then. We're going to go back together. Is she from Utah? No, she's from Seattle. But her that's where she was going to school, and she that's where her lease is on her place, okay. and that's where her work is. So I've never once, maybe if I thought, think about it, I can figure it out. I don't think I've ever met a man and a woman who grew up in different towns and then got married into the guy's hometown. It's right. always like, no, nope, we're going to go. It's like I've been to so many destination weddings because my yeah. friends are stupid enough <clears throat> to get married to somebody they met in their new town. I'm like, right. no, date somebody from your hometown so it doesn't inconvenience me. Right. They don't do that. <laughs> right, exactly. So at least it's, it's a partial compromise with Utah. Right. I mean, Seattle might be nicer. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing is... If I can make money on the road, I don't necessarily have to live in whatever city, right. you know what I mean? If people know me and I can get booked around the country, we can move back to Seattle and start a family there if we want or, you know, wherever life takes us, you know. Because I don't see us living in New York City forever, right? you know, just because it's expensive and it's busy. And as much as I love the city, when you're there for a long time, you need a break from it. Yeah, I think it's important. And plus... You know, you don't want to get into the routine like when you're only, if you only did open mics at BYU, you right. know, you're only going to have that material. So if you're only in New York City, you're only you going to New York material. In, in, right. So I think the faster you get on the road, is probably better for you, you know, mm. just to grow as a comedian. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing that I'm learning and that I'm trying to focus on is just doing things in a calculated way to, to advance as a performer and as a writer, right? Doing things to avoid getting stuck in a rut, to avoid just sort of pandering or, you know, plateauing and challenging myself and, you know, getting to be a better comedian. It's funny, I uh, I did a show with Matt Bergman last night. At yeah, the Bowl. oh, how'd that go? It was great. And it was, it was interesting because I did well, especially the first show, but you can always tell the difference between somebody having a good night and somebody who's seasoned and, and who could do this in their sleep. And that's the thing with Matt is he's a real pro. You can tell with his pacing, with the fluidity, with being able to get the same amount of laughs without exerting as much energy, with just picking his spots of when to go big and when to go small. Just little technical things that really you can only notice if you're a comedian and you know to look for them. It's a science. Yeah, in some ways they're just there's certain techniques that you only get through experience, and there's certain elements to stage presence that having a consistent stage presence that you can replicate on a night to night basis is something that you can only get through experience. You know, I have nights where I feel like my energy and my physicality and everything is completely on and it's, per- and it's perfect and it's working really well. And I'll have another night where I'm just standing there and it's not on purpose. It's just, I'm trying to remember my jokes. And I'm trying to get through it. Right. Right. So the thing that comes from experience and from touring and from all of that is really 
making every performance a performance and making it tight and making it purposeful and fluid. And it was, it was really nice to see. And it was really nice to work with him and kind of get that from him. That's great. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Antoine Carr is the guy's name. <coughs> Antoine, Antoine Carr. I'm pretty sure. But that's about all we got, man. Unless you want to say anything about Antoine Carr. I mean, we could be here another hour. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we all have busy lives, so we'll get on there. But how can people follow along with what you're doing? So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm at John Deming 3 on both. So it's J-O-H-N-D-E-M-I-N-G and the number 3. Uh, I'm trying to build up the Twitter Instagram thing. I'm still not super adept at using it. This isn't a great plug to get people to follow me, but that's kind of the focus. I mean, I still have Facebook to message people, but those those are the ones that I'm trying to build my brand on for sure. Uh, I'll be posting stuff about shows on both of those and just random things about life if you're interested in me as a person i know i got you on a show at the finger lakes taste and tap room on january 31st yep. in portland yep. so and come see me in portland I know, I know, on the 31st you know, I'll, I'll try to get you on a bunch of shows before you go to the city yeah so, i appreciate that no man. problem thank you so much for being on this podcast and yeah hope you had fun we're gonna go you want to watch episode of full house why not okay Awesome. All right, man. Whatever so happened to predictability? <laughs> I was going to let you go, but no. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.